Our text tonight is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. If not, the words will be on the screen behind me. Malachi 3, 6 through 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Andrew. I, um, I didn't think anybody would come tonight, because I said very plainly we were going to talk about money, and usually like money nights, it's like, well, next week sounds like fun. Um, so anyway, sorry, I'm dropping things. Hey, if we haven't met, I'm Thomas Nelson. I'm the young adult pastor here at Christ Covenant, and it's great to see you on a Tuesday night. Um, you're really kind of sitting in what I would call, uh, um, if there's like tiers of miracles, I would definitely put this like in kind of the miracle category. Um, this is a Bible study that started with about eight people in a backyard a few years ago, and the Lord has just like, there's no advertising, there's no like, it just has happened. And, uh, and this Sunday on this stage, there will be like um, several folks that are here tonight that are gonna be getting baptized, publicly professing their faith and sharing their testimony. And that happens like week after week. And so just, I just kind of want to say like out loud with all of you listening, just I'm thankful to the Lord for what he's doing. And I'm thankful for you. I think that you are an army of people and I think there's enough critical mass in this room and with the others who join us, um, you know, week in and week out. I think that the city of Atlanta could genuinely have a, be impacted for Christ by you. And so I just, I don't take you lightly and I don't take you being here on Tuesday nights likely, lightly. I'm just really grateful for you. So tonight we are looking at this passage um, that, uh, that Andrew just read, where the Lord says that the, the people uh, are robbing him. And so we do want to look at, at, at money and possessions and work-life balance and like then ultimately ask the question, why does God even really care about all that? Um, there's really only one thing that I hope to achieve tonight. I, I really want you to leave tonight with embracing, one, take, putting, taking one more step and getting a little bit closer to embracing this idea of an eternal perspective in your everyday, daily decisions, like realizing this is not all that there is. This is a blip in time, and you are created for much more than this, and you will be a part of much more than this when the Lord returns. Um, and, and so 
I, I'm, there's a few things that I, I don't want to do. I'm not here to tell you about my favorite budget or tell you that all debt is bad or shame you for having nice things. Like, I have nice things. Um, we live in Atlanta. We all have nice things. Uh, you know, I don't want to, uh, I don't have like a David Goggins pep talk or like Jordan Peterson, like philosophical to give you. Like, I don't have any of that. Um, I, I'm not here to tell you that you can't buy Love Shack Fancy or you can't like have your Golden Goose or your Berber or Barber or Tom Beckby or Onward Reserve or, or, you know, all the Lulus, whatever. Um, like, I'm not here to, there's a fuzz on me. Sorry, it was really distracting me. I'm not here... Um, I'm not here to do those things. I'm not here to put you on a Christian budget so that you can like have no debt and then retire with a bunch of money. Um, like my word for you tonight is that Jesus offers us an entirely different plane to live on. I just want to show you these verses real quick, and we, we're actually not even going to be in this text as much because I think we need to see some other things happening in the scriptures. But uh, Malachi three six through twelve, Andrew just read it. I just want to bring out a couple of a couple of things that are happening here. So this is um, this is one of the the rebukes that the Lord gives the people, and He says, "For I, the Lord, do not change." This idea right here of God not changing the the word the theological word is immutable. He is immutable. He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, and He's saying, "Look, I haven't changed, but you have." And that's a strong thing when the Lord says that to somebody when He says, "I haven't changed, but you have." Um, and He says, "O children of Jacob." Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And so he's like, look, you've changed, but I haven't. And that's the only thing that's keeping you around. When he promises to be faithful, he will be faithful, even when we are not. And so uh, he goes on and he says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And so there's a little bit of this like return to me and I'll return to you. It sounds a lot like uh, James 4, I believe, um, where James encourages the people very similar to this. He says, he says, repent, come back to God, draw near to God is the wording that James used, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And, uh, and so uh, Malachi is prompted by the spirit to say very similar words, uh, says the Lord of hosts, but you say, how will we, we return? And so this is so interesting. The people have drifted from God and I imagine they're thinking like, well, how, so how are we supposed to return? Like go to church more? Should we, uh, should we like hand out 10 commandments? tracks? Like, what should we do to, like, that was a joke. Um, should we, like, but that's, the, the, we don't do that anymore, so middle note, bad joke. All right, we'll move on. Um, and so, like, what should we do? Should we sing more songs? What do we do to return to you? Um, and it's a loaded question, by the way. Uh, and so, the, the Lord says, will man rob God? Not at all what they thought, I imagine, the Lord was going to say. Yet you are robbing me. And you say, well, how have we robbed you? Like, how do you steal from God? In your tithes and in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And so they've wandered and the Lord says, look, you want to come back to me? He's like, give me your resources. And by the way, your, your, your greed, your stinginess, you're giving me like half-rate offerings. 
Like, it's put a curse on you. And so this is what Courtney was just talking about for the last 10 minutes up here is so important to the Lord. The way we, the way we steward our jobs, our money, our time, it's so important. Uh, and you, you've probably noticed that Courtney is joyful. She's thankful and she's very sacrificial. Those two things go hand in hand, which means I imagine these folks were kind of grumpy and cranky and yet keeping and it's funny how that goes hand in hand. And so then he ends this statement, this section by saying, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And tithe is an, an old word that means a tenth. Bring a tenth of everything you have into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So we give back to God first. And thereby he says, put me to the test, says the Lord of angel armies. That's Lord of hosts. We saw that last week in a, in a different translation. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. And put me to the test and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, this is important. We're just gonna go ahead real quick and debunk like if you give God a little money, he'll give you a bunch more and you'll be rich. No, that's like, no, like he's not gonna perpetuate like greed, like, I'll give him a little so I can get a bunch. Like, that's not, that's not quite how it works. Um, he's, not, he's not playing into that. He says, no more need. And this will make sense as we keep reading. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. There's that Lord of, Ar the, of angel armies. Then all the nations, look at this, all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight. A land of delight, says the Lord of angel armies. What the Lord is saying is, you, you, you worship me with your resources. Bring, bring it in, bring the tenth in, see what happens. And what's gonna happen? There's gonna be an inward change in the people and they're going to become thankful people. And the Lord is going to take care of their crops and those kinds of things. But thankful people aren't greedy people. And the nations are going to see that something neat is happening here. And they're going to end up being a witness for God because of how they use their money. Not God's going to pad their pockets so that they retire really, really wealthy and never have a care in the world. No, there's a direct correlation. And so here's what I think, here's what I think we ought to do. I'm going to, um, Ashley, I know you're running the slides. I'm going to skip the next slide for the sake of time. If you want my notes, I'm happy to give everybody my notes. Um, but uh, I want, here's what I want to do. I want to just show you a little bit of kind of the, the biblical meta-narrative of finances, resources, and what God says that he does and what we need to do. And like, I want to do this in about 10 minutes, cover several different verses. And then I just want to ask like, where's Jesus in all this? And I kind of want to ask the question, why? And so let's, let's take a look. First Timothy um, 6, uh, 6 through 11, uh, and then 17 through 19. So what I'm what I want to do is I want to show you a passage and then I want to give you a biblical application. So if you're reading, this all goes back to support what I think I just showed you briefly in Malachi chapter three, but here's the deal. So 
Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he goes like all all Job on us, because this is a line from Job. We brought nothing into the world. Naked we came and naked we we will return. That's what's in Job. We cannot take anything out of this world. It's the old line that Billy Graham used to say, I've never seen a a U-Haul following a hearse. Like, thank you. Finally, we got to laugh. All right, that's good. Um, I was like serious, but we got to laugh. I'll take anything. That's great. So, but if we have, listen to this. This is the godly standard for if you should be content with your life or not. If we have food and clothing, ain't nobody in here naked. And if you need food, I'll give you food. Like we probably have pasta left over. We'll order little Ray. Like if you need it, this is the, this is the thing. This is not the Atlanta way, but this is God's way. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall, listen, young workers. This is very important. Fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, it's not a sin to be rich. I hope a bunch of you are rich and invite us to your house. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up. Listen to this. This is is repeated so many times in the New Testament. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That may be like the the anti-Atlanta work mantra. So the biblical application I would give to this is, greed creates a painful and false reality that now is all that matters. But generosity ushers in an eternal perspective. See, the commands of God are not burdensome. He's not asking us to release our time and resources to him because he's like, you have too much and I want to make you miserable. He's trying to set us free. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with new wine. Look, this is a great one. We, in our teaching meeting yesterday, Billy Bean reminded me of this verse and, and these verses, and I really like these verses because when you give to God first, and by the way, I mean like even before the government gets their part, like when you give to God first off the top, it really, what you're really doing is you're saying, I don't trust this paycheck, I trust you. But when you give to God later, what's left over, some here and there, what you're really saying, this is worship, y'all. This is worship. This is not dollars and cents. This is worship. That's why there's not an amount given in the Bible. It's percentages. Like, this is worship. When When you hold on to that, what you're actually doing is you're worshiping you. And you're just giving God like a little, a little, a little tip. Giving to God later exhibits trust in man. 
2 Corinthians um, 9, I've been in the Corinthians a little bit recently. Those are convicting books. I would avoid them. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this is the scapegoat passage for so many people. 2 Corinthians 9 is like the scapegoat of, I don't have to give 10% anymore. I just am like a cheerful giver. You should know what the word cheerful means. Like, you need, you need, you need to know your etymology. The, the word cheerful, uh, we would translate it, better translate it as hilarious. It means you give so much that it's hilarious. Like, stupid. Like, that is reckless. The Lord loves that kind of giver. That's not 10%, y'all. 10%, if I went to a restaurant and I gave 10%, they would not like me. I would be the people they talk about on Sundays. Um, like, you know, like the church people that come in and don't tip. I don't know if that's true, but maybe it is. But um, I, uh, I think, like, you've gotta, we, we've got to, um, we, we've got to get to the point where it's like, man, it is so fun to trust the Lord with my money. So fun to trust the Lord with my schedule. So fun to trust the Lord with my relationships. Like, because why? Because I have this eternal perspective that this is not all that there is. That some folks would look at you and they would say, you're either crazy or onto something, but there is no middle ground because you just operate on a whole different plane. Uh, I remember, um, I, you know, sometimes... The Lord will get you on this. Like there's a test. I remember in college, I, um, I had the college car. Some of you didn't. Some of you, dad got you a really nice one, I know. But like I had the college car. And uh, we called it Old Brown because um, it was old and brown. And, uh, and the, most of the paint was off and like the liner, you know, the liner thing, it definitely hit my head. Um, and I sold that car for $1,000 after I graduated college. And I was, I was moving up in the world. I was making $21,000 a year full-time work with a college degree. Church, church is mean to young people. Um, and so anyway, so I like worked at this church. I was making $21,500 a year. Um, Heather's dad said that I could marry her. Still don't know why. Um, and so, but my mom was selling her forerunner and I knew I had arrived because I was gonna be able to buy this forerunner. And so I was like, the Lord is blessing this man. And uh, I got a girl and a forerunner. Uh, and so like, it was like awesome. So I sold this car for $1,000 and I was like, Lord, I am very righteous. I know I should give you at least 10%. And so here I go. I'm gonna give you all $100 because the lady that bought it paid me in $100 increments. And she had just given me her first $100. And so I gave, I gave the offering plate run around and I put that $100 bill in there and I was like, the next nine is mine. And so like I was so pumped about getting that next 900 because I had already like paid it forward. She never paid me another time for that car. All right, so... <laughs> The Lord will the Lord puts you to the test sometimes, but it was it was fine. Um, and so I, the Lord gave me that car. It was His anyway. But it was actually a good lesson in like, isn't it all His? Isn't it all His anyway? So look, here's my application for you on this. Look, you can rouse yourself to be cheerful. This is not waiting on a feeling. 
You can rouse yourself to be a cheerful giver to the Lord. You have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We can rouse ourselves to be cheerful givers, not just of our finances, but of our time, our schedule, our energy. We can rouse ourselves to be this kind of giver through the power of the Holy Spirit. And stinginess in this passage yields want, but generosity yields a thankful heart to God. I was looking around the room tonight, and I know, I don't know what anybody in this church gives. I don't know anything about that. I don't want to know about that. Um, and so I have no idea. But there are a few folks that have like done some things very kindly, and I found out about it. They've done them for the ministry. They've helped us out a little bit um, to, to make young adults happen. And I was noticing those are some of the most like grateful people. There is something about generosity yielding a thankful heart. Some of the most sacrificial people are some of the most joyful. Um, and then, you know, in Proverbs 30, this is not up on the screen, but Proverbs 30, um, Agur wrote Proverbs 30. It's a great chapter. He's not good at math. You should read it and just see if I'm telling the truth or not. But like he, he writes, a, he, it's a great chapter. But um, he says in there, he says, the leech has two daughters, Give and give, and they are never satisfied. There is something about when you try to take, it's never enough. It's so interesting. Um, and then it goes on and it says, um, it says, there are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. And one of the things he mentions is fire in that Proverbs. Have you ever thought about like fire ever having enough? You realize like fire can never have enough. There's never been a fire in a fireplace that was like, ah, there's still some like logs left, but I'm good. I've burned enough. Like it's never had enough. And that's the description of the ungenerous person. They'll never have enough. I mean, if you want a, a secular example of that, it's Walter White from Breaking Bad. He never had enough. Um, so then you go to Matthew chapter six. I'm gonna do this pretty briefly, but in Matthew chapter six, I would encourage you, in fact, even tonight before you go to bed or first thing in the morning, if you're a Bible reader in the morning, I would encourage you to read Matthew 6, 19 through 34. It is a beautiful passage. It may be the passage of Jesus that I go to more than any other, just by default. The Sermon on the Mount has become near and dear to my heart, but this, and this is in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. But he says in here some really beautiful and common complex things, but he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is healthy, your whole body's full of light. If the eye is bad, your whole body's full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And people have written all kinds of incredibly poetic things on what this means, and, and it's been very creative. But what it is, it's actually a Jewish idiom, a very common expression and Jesus was working in a very common expression into the Sermon on the Mount. And what they would do is they would see somebody who was stingy, who was covetous, who never quite had enough, and they would say, that one's got a bad eye. They would call someone who was stingy, covetous, out for themselves, someone who has a bad eye. And Jesus said, if the eye is dark, how dark is the whole body? But you see somebody who's like kind of living on a different plane and they're just generous in a different whole, different kind of way. And they would say, that one's got a good eye. 
And if the eye is good, how much more light is in that body? It's, it's a beautiful section of, of scripture. He goes on and he, um, he ends that whole section by saying, therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He says, the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Look, if you want me to just put this in common, ordinary 2023 terms, stinginess or covetousness yields anxiety. If you want to compound the anxiety in your life, withhold from God. And I don't just mean your wallet. I mean every part of you. Just withhold from God if you want to compound the anxiety in your life. And that's not making light of clinical anxiety, I'm saying for anyone, if you want to compound the anxiety, be stingy or covetous and withhold from God. But generosity, and I don't mean this in like a, a, a Oprah Winfrey, a philanthropy kind of way, I, I mean like Christian generosity, it yields peace. Why? Because what happens is I start to understand the generosity of God. I'm starting to act a little bit like my Savior. A few weeks ago, I was driving here. It was a Sunday morning, and I was kind of stressed. There was something going on um, with Heather and I, and, and I was driving, not like our relationship, but like just in our lives. And, uh, and it, was, it was something, it was going to cost money. Um, and I'm not like, like trying to be like vague about this. I'll just tell you the rest of the story. Like I, I was driving here, and I had this thought, and it was just so freeing. I was like, well, Lord... We've been trusting you with our finances. We've been trusting you with our time, our, our, our relationships. Like, I'm seeing that you are totally faithful. And honestly, this thing's kind of your thing. It's not really mine. I'm just a steward of all this stuff. And so I guess you'll figure it out. And as soon as that thought hit me, like, I guess the Lord will figure this out. Like, he's a better fixer than I am. It was like the peace the transcends all understanding began to guard my heart and mind. And the reason I didn't tell you what it was is because I can't remember. I guess it got fixed. Like, it's just, it's not a problem anymore. And so I'm telling you, there is something about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and trusting that like, he's just asking us to, to be freed from some things instead of bound by some things. Um, I mean, I had a conversation with one of y'all not too long ago, and one of you said, I mean, I'm not afraid to live like fully for the Lord. What's the worst that can happen? Like I end up homeless for a few years and then I die, but I'm in heaven forever. And I was like, bringo, that man gets it. Like, I was like, okay, you may be ahead of me. That's good. Um, I, I want to read you more, but for the sake of time, I, I can't. But I'm just going to tell you the scriptures. Um, one of my favorites, um, I even had it marked in here, is uh, 1, John 5, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I would encourage you to write that down. 1 John 2 is beautiful. The Lord talks to us there about the, the danger of the love of things of this earth. Um, Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, that's the woman who gives two pennies. And when Jesus sees her among all the rich people, he says, that one gave 
They're giving all out of their abundance. She's giving out of her poverty. She's given more than all of them. Um, and I, I would say the application of that one, I'm just going to read it to you, is that the people that really know God don't ask God how much they should give. Instead, they ask God how little they should keep. And they do that in every area of their life. Um, Acts 20.35 is another one I would write down. Um, if you're just taking notes, Acts 20.35, um, that, uh, that shows that how our relationship to possessions and stewarding um, is a witness. Acts 2.42-47, that's the famous passage in the book of Acts where, uh, where Pentecost happens and 3,000 get saved and then the people start selling all their possessions and, uh, and they're taking care of each other. And the last line, look at the last line. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, the, the Lord uses that supernatural plane that he calls us to live on by not being caught up in the things that everybody else is caught up in as an incredible leverage for Christ. People see that you don't operate the way they do and they're drawn to it. Um, in, uh, I would write down Luke 12, 13 through 21, another incredible story uh, about a man who um, is called a fool because he values his things so much. Um, Mark 10, 21 through 27, that's the famous rich young ruler story. I would definitely encourage you to go read the rich young ruler where he walks away from Jesus because he'd rather have things of this world than he, would the, than he would the one who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. And it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And yet the man still walked away. And I think the application for that one is actually pretty simple, that only God can free a person from love and money and possessions and make them a thankful person who lives and operates on an entirely different plane. So to summarize all of this, I would say that when it comes to work, remember that we are replaceable. Don't let it be your God. Your work is meant to be an act of worship, that money and possessions are, are tools and, uh, and they're not lords. A cheerful giver asks how much they can afford to keep, not how much they can afford to give. I think you've got to remember that the Lord loves you and wants to take care of you more than you love yourself and want to take care of yourself. And Philippians 4.19 says that. I think about all the people that have made sacrifices, the George Muellers of the world. You go look him up, a famous, famous orphanage owner and Christian teacher. Incredible how much he gave to the Lord. And the Lord always took care of him. I think about my dad. My dad was at like... Every, I don't, he was at like every baseball game. Um, he was at like every wrestling match. He took me all over the place to do sports, did all these kinds of things. I didn't know until years later that when we came along, he gave up golf. Gave up golf. I never even knew he liked golf. He never even talked about it. And, uh, and like, I imagine his other buddies were working and doing a bunch of stuff. And like, he worked very hard, but like, he put us first. And I'm not saying that this is health and wealth and prosperity and this is going to happen to you or happen to me, but like, he was blessed in his career. Um, he, he always put the Lord first and family first. And then he retired. He went from like a lineman at the power company and retired as the president of the power company. I think 
if you were to ask him, does he regret taking us to the baseball games and turning some stuff down and not doing business trips that my mom couldn't go on and those kinds of things, I think he would say, no, that's, that's what you do when your identity is in the Lord and not in your work. The list, the list goes on and on. And this is um, a little different of a sermon. This is a little bit more talky than sermony, but I think it's good to see like the biblical narrative of what is the Lord trying to do. And I think there's two big things that's happening here. I think one, what we do with our work and our money is directly tied, hear me on this, is directly tied to what we think about God. If we went through your Amazon orders, if we went through your credit card statement, if we went through your, your Venmo transactions, all that, we could probably deduce what you think about God over the last couple of years. It's directly tied. And so I think that's what the Lord is showing us here. He, he's not like hurting for money, right? He's fine. He made the gold, remember? Like, he's fine. Uh, it's, it's not... It's, it's not that he wants our money, it's that he wants our hearts. And I think that generosity is also a direct reflection of God's love for us. And that's kind of where I want to land the plane tonight. Um, Rich, I wouldn't, we have to say Rich Mullins once. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Rich Mullins has this, um, this song that was covered by some other people um, and it, it's called, uh, it's called Sparrow Watcher. And uh, I can, I cannot say that again because I will start singing it um, and you don't want me to do that. But uh, anyway, it's called Sparrow Watcher and I think uh, that's a description of Jesus in the New Testament, that he's the Sparrow Watcher. To give yourself less because you give to God is kind of like putting on corrective lenses for the first time. Yesterday afternoon, I was at Warby Parker, and uh, I went to like a freestanding store, and I got my eyes examined, and I told the nail in the eye story, which some of you haven't heard, and so it extended my visit, um, and, uh, and I got some new glasses, and when she did the prescription, I haven't had a prescription for the eye that had the nail go in it since it happened, and, uh, and I was like, oh my goodness, when both eyes see really well, the world changes. This is incredible, and um, I mean, it was like... The, the blind receive sight. It was just amazing. Um, and I, I think that when you, when you actually give yourself less because you're, you're giving more to the Lord, you actually can kind of see for the first time that, oh, greed is actually the enemy of faith. And generosity is actually faith's friend. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, so it drives me to like trust the one who watches and houses and feeds the sparrows and aren't we more valuable than many sparrows? So I think we have to ask the question, are we robbing God? It's, it's not really our money that he's asking for, it's our hearts. Our money and our work is so closely tied into our identity and our heart. But what he wants is our heart. And a way that we show that we no longer are regular earth dwellers, but instead we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places is how we treat our work and our resources. I want you to think of Christmas for just a minute. We're getting there. We're close. Um, just quick show of hands. Anybody already listening to the Christmas? Yeah, there we go. 
my people. All right, um, Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 6, the two, two most famous Old Testament Christmas verses, Emmanuel, God with us, for, God, for, for to us a child is born and a son is given. Let's just pause right there. Christian generosity is truly an imitation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No one has ever been more generous than the man himself. Do you see the Christmas verses? For to us a child is born, a son is given. Give, given. That's the biggest tithe there ever was. The Lord gave us freely his son, John 3.16 is the greatest, uh, the greatest generosity verse maybe in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Lord gave us this gift of life and hope and thanksgiving. And the only reason he asked us to give anything back is not because he needs it, but because he's offering to help free us from one more hurdle in this life. One, one, more, one more thing that could trip us up when we let go of some things, he's actually saying, good, now you can see clearly. I don't want you to get caught up in all the stuff that the other people are because you were seated in, with Christ in the heavenly places. You operate on a different plane and you can understand a little of what the Lord has done for us. I mean, think about how generous our God is. James 1.5 says that he gives wisdom generously. John 3.16, he gives his son generously. Psalm 48.6 or Psalm 46.8 says that he says, come, he beckons us, come and see that he is in charge even as the nations rage. He beckons us, he gives us permission to not have to live like everybody else and stress and worry and, and, and claw and scratch like everybody else. Praise the Lord. He gives us that permission. Colossians 3, he gives us permission to not have our minds like everybody else, but instead to set our minds on things above. What a blessing it is to be invited, to be beckoned divinely and, of course, essentially lovingly rebuked to not have to be caught up in the same things as everybody else. You know, um, I have this book that a friend gave me a couple of years ago, and the title of it is Wanderlust. And it's like all these hiking places, and it's incredible, and everything's beautiful, and it's on, the, it's on one of the tables at the house. And um, I think, though, there ought to be with this, as we imitate Jesus, who is the most generous, giving up his very life for us, as we imitate him in that sense of generosity, I think there ought to be this wanderlust that is created in Christ where people look and they say, I want to go on the journey that you're on. You're not traveling the same road as me. You just are doing things so different. And it's just an act of worship. And look, I know it's hard to trust the Lord. We gotta eat, uh, we gotta go to work, we gotta do the things, but we don't have to compete. I've wasted so much time and energy and money that I regret because I got caught up with everybody else doing the same thing everybody else was doing. And I've had to repent many times and ask the Lord to forgive me for getting 
pinned in and cornered and tricked and believed the lies that like I need to have what everybody else has. I need to do what everybody else does. I need to be who everybody else says I should be. When in reality, I have been set free in Christ. So this may be new for some of you. What I really want you to think about here is not so much the money, but the generosity of God. So generous. Each morning, his mercies are new. So generous, sends his son. So generous, says today, if you hear my voice, come. None is more generous than him. And if you've been a Christian for a while, and you've been withholding from God, you've been robbing him, in any way that's coming to mind now, as I hope the Holy Spirit is convicting, what the Holy Spirit is doing is trying to set you free to live as a true child of God should live, serving the most generous maker. So let me pray and let us worship together. Lord, you are so generous and so kind. And the reason you ask us to give anything back to you, Lord, is to help once again set us free so that we can live in the freedom of Christ. But Lord, as we think about this Christmas season coming up, I thank you that no matter what act of generosity we give, it'll never compare with the generosity that you have. Lord, you have given us your only begotten son. You've given us a hope. You've given us a way. You've given us a defeat of sin. You've given us new life. You've given us a seated, a seated place with you in the heavenly realms. Lord, you are so generous and so good. Would you stir our hearts to a great affection that we might in turn say, whatever you want is yours, Lord, because I don't want it, I want you. May we be able to start to understand the beauty of casting down our crowns in front of you because we never really wanted that stuff in the first place. We just wanted you. Lord, would you remove the distractions from our hearts? Would you draw us to your incredible self? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.